0: Sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Bron Parry to the podcast. As the current National Operations Manager of Softball Australia, Bron is responsible for a huge portfolio, including business planning, state and federal grant applications, management of shared services, governance and policies, funding programs, information technology, and volunteer strategies. Previous to this, Bron ran her own business and has both worked as a volunteer on boards a variety of sports and organisations across the country, including the International Cricket Council, Sports Medicine Australia, Melbourne Commonwealth Games, Deakin University and recently with the Commonwealth Games Australia. In addition to all of her own work, Bron is a passionate advocate for women in the sport industry and we are very lucky to have her along today. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, that's a big portfolio. Uh,
1: Yes, when you read it out like that, um, it's a little bit daunting and (laughs) probably explains why I spend most of my
2: time in meetings. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, there's a fair bit of work there, Bron, but we're excited to hear a lot about as much as we can today and learn a bit from you. But our favourite question, the question that we always start off today is, with what is your first memory of sport? That's a
1: good question. As, as a kid growing up, I grew up in the country. So, you know, I think for a lot of kids in the country, sports sort of like that central part. The first sport I did would have been, I think, little athletics and a bit of gymnastics. So, you know, sort of we ran on a grass field, so no, no fancy uh, athletic Um, tracks in in sale where I grew up so that probably that first memory is those sort of Saturday mornings freshly cut grass and uh, my mum being the volunteer and running us around to each event I think would be my memory.
0: And is this something you pursued throughout your childhood?
1: Yeah in terms of sport I I played all any sport I could get my hands on growing up so I sort of like I said started with little athletics wasn't very good at gymnastics passed that one up moved on to sort of netball and softball when I moved to Melbourne sort of play footy and cricket and and still play a lot of sport to today in you know obviously I'm in my 40s so not moving the same way I used to but um yeah I still love playing sport on a regular basis. When was
0: it that you decided you wanted to work in sport?
1: That was pretty early on for me, I think. You know, you sort of get those questions when you're a young kid, what do you want to be when you get older? And I think my answer nearly the entire way through school, right up until year 12 was I want to be a PE teacher. So I I loved coaching. Um, I coached from a young age, um, loved helping other people. And of course, you know, if I could work in sport, that was brilliant. My dad was a teacher. So I sort of, I guess, you know, sort of follow those footsteps a little bit. But it wasn't really until year 12 when I sort of thought maybe there's other sport avenues out there um, other than just being a PE teacher. So I ended up actually doing sports coaching at Deakin Uni and seeing where that took me.
2: I think that's a pretty typical thing that a lot of, females in particular who are sporty in high school, they get, oh, why don't you become a PE teacher and sometimes probably get that presented as their only option. Do you think there's a bit of work we need to do do there to make sure that, I guess, there's this whole world of sport out there and it's more than just PE teaching? Nothing against obviously going into that. It's a great career, but um, I think people just get pigeonholed into that if they like sport at high school.
1: Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, if Um, people are lucky enough to have the right careers advisor at their school. They do get that opportunity to have their their eyes open to to other opportunities. But I think from our point of view, like anything we do as females in sport, whether it's playing or coaching or or working in it, that until you actually see it, you don't believe it, Mm. right? You sort of um, have that situation, I think, with a lot of, you know, if the female CEOs get the media, people go, wow, that's, you know, a huge leadership role, you know, as a young kid, maybe I can be that too. So I think it's we have to promote when women sort of work in different positions that I guess are a little bit traditionally men in terms of the industry.
0: I know that that was the case for me when I went to uni. To be honest, I picked my two favourite subjects. So I was PE and business. I went, sure, I'll do sports yeah. management. Let's yeah. do that. Sure. And then when it was uni placements, when I went to places like AFL Victoria and the Penrith Panthers and I saw these women you know kind of running whole departments and doing things but if we weren't if I wasn't there in that office I would never have known that these people were doing that and that's kind of why Ash and I nearly started this is because through our work we meet so many wonderful females but if you're not in that network you actually don't know that there's so many of these wonderful leaders out there.
1: No and I think naturally women aren't don't go down the self-promotion Yeah much as well. And, you know, setting up your own podcast is a really sort of um, brave move because you go, well, you know, we're putting ourselves out there. And I think it's fantastic. And the more opportunities that um, myself and other women in sport have to tell our stories um, allows us, I guess, to help others along the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So what was your first role within the sports industry?
1: So straight out of uni, the first job I actually took was uh, working in a gym. So health and fitness. And I stayed in that industry for probably four or five years thinking, you know, this is fantastic. I was earning great money and I'm very social. So I was constantly talking to people and, you know, helping others again is sort of my thing. So I, was, I found myself loving seeing people get results and do well at the gym. But it definitely wasn't the career path that I sort of saw um, for myself in terms of, you know, you set yourself goals and. I remember when I was at uni that I sort of, you know, one of our lecturers said, you know, what role do you want in the next five years? And I knew the Commonwealth Games was coming up. And I said, oh, yeah, I want to get a job at the Commonwealth Games. But I sort of lost track of that a little bit. So it wasn't, yeah, I then had to sort of deviate a bit to get that job. So I had to leave the health and fitness industry and go down a different direction to get where I wanted to be.
0: And what was that deviation like? I'm a really big advocate for getting experience outside of, well, as much experience as you can. Really, because I believe a lot of the things, um, and what I'm seeing in sport now is a lot of people coming in from different industries because skills are so transferable.
1: Yeah. So what I was finding, I wasn't even getting an interview. So I was sort of looking at my resume to say, well, you know, I guess in in a way, why would they give me an interview? Because all I've got here is health and fitness. So I quit my job. at the gym and I started temping. So I I remember temping, just again, get a foot in the door and see where it ended up. I did a couple of days on reception at Cricket Australia. So that was great. Um, I worked at uh, Disney, so in the film industry. Um, And then a friend of mine who worked in HR sent me a role. It was a 12-month contract working at a medical college. Um, They had received funding to run a sort of professional development series of workshops and forums for doctors. And I was going to be the the admin person. So it meant, you know, spreadsheets, mail merge, setting up, you know, at, I guess an event um, with a workshop. So I sort of thought, well, that's great experience, perfect, had nothing to do with sport, but it's exactly the experience I need to bring to the Commonwealth Games. So I did my year there and um, went for a job again at Commonwealth Games and I got it. So when I sort of do different talks, I often talk about sort of brave decisions. You know, I was pretty young then and quitting a job with, with nothing else to go to was relatively, yeah, bold at the time.
2: And, Brock, did we come to, to current day in your role at Softball Australia, softball has gone through fairly big change I guess at the moment with the one softball structure. Can you talk to us a little bit about exactly what that is and what the process has been like so far?
1: Yeah so I think we're going back quite a while when Sport Australia, Australian Sports Commission sort of started spruiking the the one management model to a lot of different sports and you know I think softball sort of paid attention to some of the sports that went through that process and you know, golf and sailing. I am um, sort of one of the first two, triathlon. So I think we, we sort of watched keenly to sort of see how that was going. I was president of Softball Victoria when it first started being discussed at um, the national level with Softball Australia. So that's going back sort of three years. It's been a, a bit of a journey. Look, it I think it's been changed the way that we talk, one, management, because it sort of has this notion that you know, you have one body telling you what to do. And it's really not that at all. So I think for Australia now talking about organisational enhancement and effectively that's what it is. You're, you're changing the the nature or the style of your um, organisational structure to enhance what you deliver. And that's where the shared services comes in. So the states that are signing up to one softball, where we're doing shared services for finance, HR, legal, comms and marketing, IT, where... I guess it's, it's changing where you spend your money. If we can be more efficient with our budgeting to, to spend it on shared services, what we're then looking at doing is spending more money in participation, which as the sport of softball has had declining numbers for you know the last few decades. We need to get our numbers back up and sort of keep growing our sport. We want to put that money into staff on the ground, working with our clubs and athletes and associations. So I think that's sort of where one softball, I think, is the right option for our sport. I'm not saying necessarily that it's the right option for every sport. Do you
0: think, Bron, it's a really good option for some of those smaller sports who um, probably rely a bit more heavily on the Sport Australia funding? And it's to me, it just sounds being more efficient and making sure the participants get the most out of the, the funding that is available.
1: 100%. So yeah. definitely for, for smaller sports where you've got, each state and territory spending their budget on finance, HR, legal, all of those aspects that you think, well, if they didn't spend that money on admin, where else would they spend it? And you spend it on the grassroots or high performance. So again, giving it back to the sport. Um, so I think it absolutely, and some of the biggest sports it's worked for as well. I mean, you look at what's happening with Oz cycling. You yeah. mentioned efficient you know they had an extraordinary amount of you know boards and staff that were all doing the same role across different disciplines you know and that's that's a big beast that they've created in terms of amalgamating so many different sports but i think in the long run and it's going to take time but in the long run it's going to be the best thing for cycling in this country Uh, and we certainly think that's the case with softball as well so you know we need to prove that it's going to work and we need to sort of show the numbers and we're sort of working through implementation and transition with a few states at the moment. This time next year it would be great to see how we've been going.
2: Broad, you mentioned earlier that you were on the board at um, Softball Victoria as this change started to come through. What's the impact being like at board level?
1: Well it's, it's interesting we sort of spoke about that just during the week that right now we don't see um, any change at all so we want the boards to stay functioning as they are with the same people but we think over time, there'll be less for them to be focused on, so they, they won't necessarily need to be too worried about um, the financial aspects, which you know, takes up a, a fair amount of time for a state board. You know, I guess they'll get more support around strategy from the national bodies. So, um, I think Softball Victoria is a board of nine. We've discussed what that might look like in a couple of years' time, that maybe it's a much smaller board maybe goes down to sort of five. You know, we had a chair and a president because that's the way that sort of we um, like to sort of share the load of, of the work. We sort of said we probably don't need that. We just have one um, president or one chair. So, yes, yeah, so I think the role of the state boards is an interesting one. They They're still going to have a really important role to play because the focus has to remain on what's happening in their state and the best thing for their state. But we think, you know, instead of meeting maybe monthly or every six weeks, they might meet three or four times a year so it's a it's a bit of a trial and error to see how that works out for some of our one softball states but you know they're all open to to working with us to sort of see what works best.
2: Yeah that's really interesting because I think obviously a lot of the people that you get on state level boards are really participation focused and often coming from you know clubs or leagues or associations themselves. So it sounds like this might get them to focus on areas that I guess they're really skilled at and they know so well um, compared to more of the, the administration and the management and things like you spoke about. Do you think that's going to have an impact?
1: Yeah, potentially. And look, I think sometimes, you know, having an ear to the ground on your state board is really important. So one thing we try to do on our software tutorial board when we sort of were recruiting was uh, the right blend of softball people and non-softball people and I think that's important for them to stay that way but probably less inclined to need a marketing expert because that's going through the the national body or you know even though you might have a very dedicated finance director they're going to have less work to do so your you people that I guess are on the ground aligned with an association will be you um, just as valuable now as they will be in the future as well
0: yeah it sounds like a huge change and a big beast and you've mentioned you know it's a long-term long-term goal it's not something that you'll be able to change overnight so in your current role and you've you've only been in your role for a short period of time what does your average week look like I know there is no average week in sport but you've got a huge portfolio how are you settling into the role
1: yeah, it is it is a big beast. And I think what I've sort of, I guess in my mind said there's there's things that we've got to action immediately and get stuck into it and work on. And then there's some things sort of the the long play, but those things that we'll get to eventually when we have more time. So an average week at the moment, you know, probably predominantly it's on one softball because we're doing implementation for two states at the moment and about to bring in our third. So, that takes up a fair amount of time. You know, Obviously, when you start a new job, you're learning a lot of things on the go. So, we're right in the middle of budgeting um, for next financial year. So, um, spending a fair bit of time in budget meetings discussing, you know, different line items with, you know, obviously the CEO and our financial control have been there for a number of years. So, you've got to keep up with the conversations. <laughs> Then, you know, I guess we've got governance committee that I'm sitting on that we're trying to sort of get our head around. You know, every organisation has so many policies and you constantly have to review them and update them um, to be current. So that's taking up sort of quite a large chunk of time as well at the moment. And, you know, meeting and greeting a lot of different stakeholders um, is critical at the moment just to sort of introduce myself to people I don't know. So yeah, so there's a fair bit going on. And I think once uh, I settle into the role and and once softball sort of, I guess, starts sort of operating on its own, um, that's when I'll get a chance to sort of spread out a bit more across the business.
0: And so before you move into Softball Australia, you run your own business for 10 years until COVID hit, really. So how were you able to adjust during this time?
1: Um, Yeah, look, it was really interesting. This time last year was really tough because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd sort of I'd taken on a few different contract roles that had taken me away from the business in in recent years but I was sort of you know had a new lease of life and I'd done some rebranding and ready to sort of you know build things back up again um, when COVID hit so it was a tough time to I guess realize that I didn't wasn't in a place where I could sit around and wait Um, and we didn't know what the future was going to do in terms of COVID and being that predominantly my um business worked in events and projects within sport. You know, and all around me were friends that are being stood down and being made redundant that, you know, I knew in the immediate future that there was going to be no work coming through the business. So I had to, you know, make a pretty tough decision. And as a single single mum, you know, I've got to make sure I've got money coming in. So I went out there and, and found found a job, but it was an interesting adjustment in that, you know, working remotely wasn't the problem for me because I'd often done that with my business. Uh, Working sort of, you know, from the couch on a Monday morning, setting up the week was was pretty normal for me. But yeah, the adjustment was probably around, you know, the different hours and the different expectation of of working a full-time job. That was probably the hardest part for me. What
0: skills did you use or did you draw on in that time? Because I know COVID for a lot of people, you mentioned, you know, we were getting, people were getting stood down, reduced hours. There was just so much anxiety and unknown for a lot of people. Um And it was very easy. I mean, it sounds like you took the challenge on head on, whereas some other people, you know, they didn't probably have that skill set to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. I think when you run your own business, you, you have to have a lot of drive and the motivation has to come from within. You can't get it from other people. So, I think that definitely helped me in that time. And I think, too, that the way that I approach not just my work but my life is to always think that there's a solution. There's, you know, as bad as things can get, um, you do have the choice to change things and you, if you can change it for the for the better, um, then you give it a go. So, you know, I get knocked back but knocked down a few times. You've got to get back up. And I think, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty with COVID and I think that's where it hurt a lot of people is we just didn't know what the future was going to be like, and for a lot of people they would never have been stood down before, they would never have um, been made redundant before, so they were dealing with a lot of emotions that probably they'd never experienced. So it was it was a tough time for a lot of people, and I think really, I mean, this recent lockdown in Melbourne has proven to us that we're not out of it yet, and things are are still going to be uncertain for a long period of time. So I think we've got to rely on the people around us to keep us going when we we hit a flat spot and take it a little bit easy on ourselves when we are having a bad day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a really tough period. And like you said, it feels like there's still a little bit to go. But I really liked your, I guess, your attitude towards that and being so solution focused. Can you maybe talk us about um, another time that might have been your biggest challenge so far um, during your time in sport?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, one of the, the toughest roles I took on was at Basketball Australia with the, the USA Games. Um, we had a situation where we had a lot of very powerful stakeholders involved and, you know, potentially all had different objectives of what we wanted to get out of the, the two games that we were playing at Marvel Stadium. So it was, I sort of felt like we were, Basketball Australia was sort of in the middle of all of that. We, we had to deliver um, from a high performance point of view for the athletes. But then also try and, I guess, get the most out of, you know, these high profile games from a marketing point of view and get more people playing basketball. So that was really challenging and it was hard to juggle, you know, lots of different stakeholders in that environment. And like I said, very powerful, different objectives. But I think, you know, it leads into sort of another question I think you were going to ask is what's the most rewarding and when you are challenged like that and you think, God, this is never going to work or we're not going to be able to pull this off, when you actually do pull it off, that's the most amazing moment. And I still remember standing there in Marble Stadium with 50,000 people jumping up and down because Australia had beaten the US for the first time ever. Um, and it was an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, it was. It was a great, I guess, sporting event for Australia, really. And so you mentioned that when, when you're at uni, one of your lecturers asked what you wanted to you know, a goal perhaps, and you mentioned I want to work for the Com Games or work on the Com Games. So, what was it like when you started? You know, you've done a bit of work for Commonwealth Games Australia. You know, was that a kind of pinch me moment? I can't. You know, this is something I dreamt of as a kid, or or what was it like? Given um, it was just recently.
1: Yeah, it was. It felt like I'd sort of come full circle a little bit. Yeah. That first role back in in two thousand and five, two thousand and six at the. The Melbourne Commonwealth Games was one of the best experiences I'd, I'd ever had too in sport. You know, working on a major event like that with thousands of staff, again, it's just a really big team effort and it's a huge amount of work and long hours. But, again, you you get to the end of it and you go, look what we just achieved. Um, to sort of come full circle and, and work at Commonwealth Games Australia on, you know, planning for the next games in Birmingham, um, it was great. It was a, a good moment and, you know, sort of, I guess, leaving Com Games Australia was a really tough decision to make and not one that I made lightly. But it was sort of, I guess, the Softball Australia job was one I couldn't pass up and an opportunity that sort of came out of nowhere and, and took that opportunity in when I was presented with it. so
0: Yeah, I actually remember I went to those Commonwealth Games in, <clears throat> excuse me, 2006, but I had to lie to my... This is a funny story, which is so Ash might cut it, but I had to lie to my uni lecturer to get... Out of an accounting exam because my mum definitely had not us. cutting it. <laughs> yeah. My mum had bought us tickets to the swimming, and so I grew up a massive fan of swimming. And so I had to fake a family wedding to get out of this accounting I'm exam. And I was saying, actually
1: I'm like that's bold. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I know accounting exam too. And then, but well, not funny story. We would plan to go and watch Thorpey, but then he retired so we never actually got to watch him but then you know years later when I'd finished uni I was working for Swimming Australia and so I met him and then you know a few years later after that I was working at the Pan Packs watching Michael Phelps and I get that point where you're just like I can't believe this is actually yeah. happening so um you know some of the greatest ever sports people it's kind of a surreal moment that you don't ever think of that you'll actually you know when I f- had to get out of that accounting exam I never thought you know Five years later, I'd be shaking his hand and you know, meeting him. So, yeah, it's, it's a really surreal experience.
1: Yeah, the one for me that I sort of go to, I was I was managing um, sort of athletes for a period of time there. Um, yeah, for five years we did athlete management, and I got to attend the Laureus World Sport Awards. Um, it was in Abu Dhabi, and it was just the members of the Laureus sort of sports foundation, are like the best athletes in the history of sport yeah sitting at a, a a dinner and I had Boris Becker and Kevin Dev and Nadia Comaneci and Monica Seles and like I'm just looking around the table going this is ridiculous what how did I end up here totally surreal moment and sort of again you sort of it is a pinch me moment you try and you know I'm not I never get too overawed like a, I don't get a fangirl moment but you do just have that little moment to yourself in your own mind going wow this is incredible
0: yeah, and it's like on the outside you have to be so composed and so professional, yeah. but on the inside it's like you're 10-year-old right. Sarah is sitting in here going, holy crap, this is actually happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it's day in, day out. You're getting to work in something that you're so passionate about. Like you said, you know, we all grew up watching these these events and then when you get to be a part of it, you uh, you just want to scream a little bit on the inside, but it's also so exciting that it's it's part of your daily life now.
1: Yeah, and you often hear that—that that you sort of hear about people saying, "Why do you work in sport?" And it is very much around passion and wanting to work in a space that you you really enjoy. Um, because as you would both know, you know, we sport in terms of um, salary, you're just never ever going to get paid the equivalent if you were in a different industry. But I think we've all accepted that a long time ago. And we sort of work out, well, how much money do you need to have a a good life? So working in sport, we are, I think, very fortunate. And I think that's why a lot of young kids coming through high school and uni want to work in sport. And we say to them, you know, it's not easy. You're going to work long hours, you're going to get paid shit money. So I think that I don't know who it was, Warren Buffett might have said that, you know, when you find something that you're passionate about, it's not work. So I think that's one thing you sort of often say to people when you work in sport. If you love what you're doing, you keep doing it and you do it well.
2: Yeah, I think that's really good advice, particularly for people who are just starting out or might be thinking about making um, the switch to working in sport. And you mentioned earlier around, I guess, the exposure of females in in leadership positions and, and seeing uh, CEOs I guess at the moment, there's been a lot of discussion around that. We've had a lot of high profile CEOs move on from their roles over the last 12 months. Can you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that and what you think might need to change to improve on this?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's really frustrating, I think, um, when you see it happening, because female leaders in high profile sports are just judged so differently to our male counterparts, So I think part of that is the media coverage. You know, we need more even media coverage, less judgment um, on on female leaders based on, you know, opinions. So I think, you know, we're seeing more and more high-profile CEOs and we're just female CEOs and we need more of it. And I think over time it becomes normal and it's not going to be new. Um, So I think that's part of it is that, you know, The decision making that goes for a CEO uh, is the same whether you're a male or a female. But the way that we make those decisions is judged differently. So I think media, social media um, needs to reframe um, the way that it's discussed when discussing female leaders, I think needs to change. Yeah, I think you've
0: raised raised a good point. It is. Kind of disappointing over the last, I think, six months, quite a a few of high profile female CEOs have either resigned or parted ways with their sporting organisation. I think there's only a couple now who are CEOs. What would be, I guess, your message for perhaps some up and coming female leaders in this space that might be looking at that going, oh, why would you want to put yourself in that position? And, you know, you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's not something I'd want to take on.
1: Look, I think we will see yeah. a groundswell of female leaders coming through because we're now getting more opportunities to be general managers or senior managers in roles. And I think, you know, we are a little bit more resilient in that we've worked, you know, in the industry for a long period of time and we're not now the only female in the room. Um, I think that the female leaders that you see at the top probably at any given time were the only female in the room and they maybe had to adjust the way that they operated um, to survive so I think it will change we will see um, a a positive spin to it I think in the coming years when more and more leaders are females and again we don't think any different of it it's just becomes normal that um, the right person gets the job male or female so look I think you've got to you've got to be resilient you've got to have a thick skin I guess if you're always going to act professionally you just got to keep moving forward I don't think you sort of necessarily change the way you lead because if you're a good leader it'll get recognized in the right way.
0: Yeah yeah I really like that and you're right there's a lot more females in kind of leadership positions whether they're informal or formal coming through I know um, especially you know in sports that I've worked in and it's really it's really nice seeing your colleagues kind of be recognized for their leadership and the hard work that they're putting in right. for you specifically how do you kind of continue to learn and develop and you know make sure you're getting the, the skills and the I guess knowledge um to keep moving up and and be a leader in the sports industry
1: yeah, I think it's all about opportunity. There's opportunities to to attend a workshop or a forum or a conference, even just sit in on meeting. Um, if, if they come up, I just put my hand up and say yes. So that's one thing I've always done. Um, you know, in terms of continuous learning, I sort of suggest we, you know, again, when I do talks, I, it's something you never want to stop doing, whether it's, you know, you don't necessarily need to go and get your master's degree. But you need to always be sort of studying in some shape or form. So, you know, later this year, I'll be doing my um, company director's course, which I've been wanting to do for a number of years, it's a lot of money to, to do it. So I was fortunate enough to get a change our game scholarship to be able to do that. So that's something that I'm sort of putting myself out there to understand, you know, if I'm, I do want to remain someone on boards and committees. So I need to obviously learn from a professional point of view what a director needs to do. You can obviously learn through experience, but you also need the theory to back it up, I think. And for me, I'm always on LinkedIn, reading articles, um, Twitter, I follow lots of different people on Twitter. I try and get lots of different opinions, not just the same opinions over and over again, um, drinking the Kool-Aid for one way of thinking. And yeah, I love watching little video clips of, of people um, teaching different things. So I, I think naturally I'm always seeking out more knowledge.
0: Yeah, I think it's there's so many good ways to learn now, like given, um, you know, the things that LinkedIn can provide, you know, LinkedIn learning, they split it up into, you know, short videos and there's really, I guess, content and information out there for any way of learning so that if it isn't your way to sit in a classroom for, you know, five hours a day on a weekend um, doing your master's, there's plenty of information and, and ways that you can continue to keep learning out there now.
1: Absolutely. And I often say that, too, is that, you know, we're all different personality types and we all learn and absorb knowledge different ways. So for me, I'm I actually don't read lengthy you know pages of a book, but I'll watch as many video clips as I possibly can, because that's how I take the information in and stay engaged. So I think we're very fortunate at the moment that there's lots of different platforms to learn from. Um, And that's certainly something that if you're talking to uni kids, you say, you know, Branch out and and learn from other people through different platforms that suit you.
0: Yeah, perfect. And that kind of leads us into the last question we have for you, Bron, because we've picked your your brain a lot today, um, and you've touched on it, I guess, across the the chat that we've had today. But what would you consider your top three tips for you know perhaps a, a Bron that's back at uni, back um, when you were studying? thinking about making a move into the sports admin space, what would you say to be the the top three tips you would give?
1: Number one by um, a long way is networking. Networking is one of those things that I would, got drummed into me when I was at uni. I'm glad I did. Um, I think it forms a lot of your relationships of where you, again, learning through others, but also I think it's about connection with other people. And, you know, I, I often say that you don't get the job because of what you know, it's who you know. And I think through your, your network will often sort of get you the the next career pathway that you're sort of looking for. So networking is the biggest thing. You have to network and LinkedIn allows you to do that now online. You don't have to turn up to events all the time to sort of meet people, but you've got to find the right mix there. And obviously when we get out of COVID, we'll hopefully have more networking events. The second thing for me is take every opportunity that comes along. So you'll be presented with promotional opportunities or, you know, a chance to volunteer somewhere and learn from others. My thing to uni students is don't pass up an opportunity ever. Um, Always say yes, because you never know where that opportunity might lead to. Um, And again, it might not be an immediate um, benefit, but in five years time you say, well, because I took that volunteer thing five years ago, I'm now here where I am because of that moment. So opportunity, I think, is one of those things. And I think, too, um, you know, that that continuous learning is really critical. So, you know, we talk about the piece of paper you get at university. You know, it looks good on the resume. It looks good in terms of, you know, might get you shortlisted for a job, um, whether you've got your master's there. But I think if you're going to be good at anything you do with your job, um, you have to always be continuously learning up to date with what's happening or learning from others to sort of implement things in your job, you'll go a long way.
2: Amazing. Thank you so yes. much, Bron. We really, those are the great tips as always. Yeah. And I, I really think
0: the networking one's perfect. And even the people we've been meeting through the podcast and the messages we're getting um, just kind of solidify what you've said today. So really appreciate all um, the info and the advice you've given us and really um, wish you good luck on the One Softball journey.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the the opportunity to speak to you both and um, look forward to, to hearing the podcast. Yeah,
0: great. Thanks, Bron. Thanks so much, Bron.
1: Straight to no. chat to you.
2: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.